Maximilian Kolbe was 45 years old in the early autumn of 1939. Now, if you know anything about timelines, and Adrian, you'd know this because you're from Poland. Nazi Germany invaded Poland in September of 1939. It totally, that was the beginning point of World War II. And Maximilian Kolbe was a, a priest. He was a Roman Catholic priest. But you know, there are priests and then there are priests. That's been my experience. Some of them really know Christ. They really love Christ. They have an incredible ministry. He was one of those kind of guys. He saw the value of the budding technology that was on the horizon. You know, TV was just, you know, newsreels, radio. And he would have the map of the world in front of him and he would pray over the the world that the gospel seeds would be planted around the world. But he was also concerned because he he knew, you know, what was going on with uh, Nazi Germany. Did I forget to do something here? Oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't receive the offering. That's okay. Here's what we're going to do, guys. If you got your monies, just, well, you can give it on the end of the service when you leave. We'll just drop it in the basket, of uh, the bags. Okay, can we do that? So if you've got monies and you want to give, just drop it in the bag. All right. Sorry. I knew I forgot something. You know, you know how in your mind you're going, I had all these things going on in the first service. We even had a child dedication. So I'm just going, wow, there's so much going on here this morning. Now, Kobe, uh, he, he recognized that he was out of step with the Nazi philosophy. And eventually, he, in 1941, he got a note from the, the Polish underground that he was on the Gestapo list. He was soon arrested. He was sentenced and uh, found guilty of publishing unapproved material. Just stuff that you and I would normally take for granted, like biblical Christianity, right? So he gets sentenced to Auschwitz, which is a concentration camp. And then about, you know, months later, he's in, he's in Auschwitz and a prisoner escapes. Now, the way the Nazis tried to discourage escapism was simply if somebody got away, they would execute other people. So if you, got, if you ran away, it was going to cost other people their lives. And so this guy actually got away, and the commandant decided to, you know, execute 10 people. But what he would do instead of just, you know, a quick execution, he'd put him in what he called the starvation bunker and would take away food and water. How many know to die from starvation is a very painful, inhumane way of killing people? So while they were selecting the names, one man became beside himself. When his name was called, he came unglued. He began sobbing and weeping, and he was crying out, my poor wife and children, what are they going to do? And suddenly there was a commotion in the ranks, and Maximilian Kobe, this frail priest, comes out, and he says calmly, I'd like to die in place of one of the men you've condemned. And so the commandant says, why? So now he's got to be kind of diplomatic, and he says, I'm an old man, sir, and good for nothing, my life will serve no purpose. And so I, his ploy actually worked. And the commandant said, well, who do you want to die in place of? And he said, the man that was crying out, I'll die in his place. As the hours and days passed, the camp became aware of something extraordinary that was happening. And by the way, this story 
has been shared around the world by the man that was spared. He tells the story because he felt a man died in his place. Very powerful. Past prisoners had spent their days howling, attacking one another, clawing the walls in a frenzied despair in that starvation bunker. But now, from that very bunker, they could hear the sounds of singing. Singing praises to God. You see, he went in there and was able to affect a different environment to men who were sentenced to death. He prepared them for death. Now, no one knows, but the decision was instantaneous. The natural consequences of a character shaped by a lifelong commitment to Christ. Why did he do it? Because this is who he was. It was just a natural response. You know, what you and I do comes from who we are. It's the truth. Being always precedes doing. It's out of who we are that we act. So it's very important that, you know, we work on shaping our inner life. It's very important we work on shaping who we are because it's out of that that we respond to other situations. At the core of our Christian witness in the world lies the reality of who who each of us is in relationship to God and in relationship to one another. Colby didn't have to witness to the guards who were marching him to the death chamber. He was a witness. And this is exactly what Jesus calls us to be. We're all called to be witnesses. And and so often today we see this as solely an activity. You know, I'm sharing my faith. Rather than understanding, we're sharing who we are. And we're sharing who we are every moment of every day. And actually who we are is speaking a lot louder than anything, any words we're ever going to say. And actually the words we're saying should come out of who we are. Now, some would question, you know, in light of all the challenges in the 21st century. And how many know life is far more complicated today? Isn't that true? A lot more challenges. You know, technology was supposed to make life easier. Technology has made life both easier but far more complicated. It's created other sets of problems. And that's the way things always do happen that way. Well, some would charge that there's a difference between the 21st century and the 1st century in that Christianity has come... It's proven inadequate for the complexities of our time, and it's failed. I would say, no, it's been tried and found. It hasn't been tried the right way because so often people have a misunderstanding of what true biblical Christianity is. The problem has not been with authentic Christianity, but with the many aberrations. In other words, the, you know, the, the way we've distorted it. And secondly, our superficial response that some people have had towards being a follower of Christ. And so it's diminished and it's, you know, actually, it's messed up really what Christianity should really look like. And when you really see the real thing, the authentic thing, it really impacts people. Now, the issue has always been one of character. And I'm convinced that Character produces credibility, and credibility produces trust, and people only follow those they trust. And that's why it's easy to follow Jesus, because he's so credible, he's so trustworthy, right? And so it's easy to follow him, I think, because you go, wow, he's, you know, Jesus, you know, you you may have some challenging moments, and he may take you down a difficult path, and your life may be challenged at times, but I'll tell you, he's, he's consistent. He's faithful. And out of those experiences, we become better people. Now, Jesus appears to his disciples after his crucifixion and resurrection. 
And I want you to notice what he says to his disciples. And I believe that what he says to these people is the very same thing he wants to say to you and me today. And so what did Jesus say to them in John chapter 20? And I, and I, I love these verses. And I really love the way verse, 20, verse 21 of John 20 states. It says, again, Jesus said to them, peace be with you. Now, if you're in Israel today and, and you're, you're meeting people on the streets, you know how we say hello here? Hi, how are you? They will say, Shalom, peace. Shalom Aleichem, peace be with you. You know, and, and what they're basically doing is they're actually you know, speaking a word of blessing in your life. Sometimes they don't understand that. But you know, isn't it awesome to have somebody say peace to you? May God's shalom, may God's favor and peace be upon you. I love that. What a way to greet people, right? I like that. Then he says this, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. As the Father in heaven sent me to earth to minister and serve humanity, so I am sending you now in my place. Wow. I mean, that's an amazing thing. That you and I now are his ambassadors to our world. You and I have this amazing purpose in life. We're not just, you know, existing through time. You know, we're not just, you know, living an aimless life, living just for ourselves. That we actually have a purpose from God. That he is sending us into our worlds. Where we work, where we go to school, in our neighborhoods. Isn't that great? And when we take a vacation, we go around the world, when I go to, you know, get my hair cut, when I go to the restaurant, he is sending me to that place. And when someone is there and I look at them and I see brokenness or sadness and I ask them about it and they say, I'm going through, you know, because, you know, if you're sensitive to other people, you can pick up on things, right? How many know you can do that? And you can say, I just sense that there's a lot of hurt. And, you know, when people see that somebody cares about them, you know what happens? They start telling you. And then you can say, wow, I'm so sorry to hear that. Or can I just pray with you right now? I know that God cares about this. He cares about you. We're, we're God's ambassador in that moment. Isn't that a neat thought? I mean, that's beautiful. It should be so natural for us to understand. And so what happens when we understand this text of Scripture, I think it's going to release us to actually begin to experience the life of Christ at a level we've never experienced it before. So I'm going to look at three dynamic realities of living a missional life. Missional means a life that I, I'm on a mission. I have a sense of purpose to my life. I'm not just living for myself. I'm living as a, a sent out person by God. I have a commission from God. Jesus said to the church, go into all the world and make disciples. Jesus gave us a commission. He gave us a command. He gave us a job to do. We have a task that's lying before us. And yes, while I am you know, doing my vocational job, whatever it may be, you know, I could be, you know, serving in a restaurant or I could be teaching in a classroom or wherever, whatever I'm doing, I have a deeper sense of mission. I'm not just doing that, but I have something even more profound working uh, and, it's, and it's far more eternal in nature. 
So let's take a look at these three important realities that Jesus made the early disciples aware of that awakened them from their, at that moment, their personal grief. And it also helped them out of their aimlessness. Because I see a lot of people today that are quite aimless. Haven't you met people like that? They're just drifting through time. You know, they're wasting time. They don't, they're not, they're not redeeming the time as Paul writes in the Ephesians. They're not using every opportunity. No, they're struggling in their lives with how to spend their lives. They're not spending their lives wisely. Do you realize the most important thing that all of us share in this room is not, you know, the fact that we're all human beings, but that God has given a gift called time and we're spending it. And we have to ask ourselves the question, how am I spending this most important commodity called time. It's even more important than money, by a long shot. It's very important. We only have so much of it. So let's take a look at these three dynamic realities of being a missional believer. And the first one is that we are sent by God. We need to understand it's God himself that sent us. And he's sending us out like he sent Jesus. How many believe that Jesus changed our world? How many believe that when Jesus came to this planet, it was amazing? His life is so transformational. His life has impacted two billion people on this planet today, if not more than that. And most people know who Jesus is. Not everybody, but most do. You know, as a, as a figure, he never wrote a book. He never fought a battle. He was not a ki- king of a, an earthly kingdom, but he was a king of a spiritual kingdom. And he's had an amazing impact generation after generation. So, you know, I look at that and it says, and in the same way the Father sent Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ says to his disciples, I'm sending you. You were sent by me. Wow, I like that. You know, James and John went in the strength of those words, and you and I can go in the strength of those words. We're being sent by God. Now, some of us, we go, well, what does that really mean, Pastor, to be sent by God? Well, I'm glad you asked that question, because I get to tell you what it means to me to think about being sent in the name of the Lord. You know, I read a story, and we can all read it. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 17, story of King David. But this is before he's famous. He's before he's a king. You know, he's a little guy. He's, he's the youngest of eight boys in the house. And Samuel comes along the prophet. He's going to anoint one of Jesse's sons as king. Now, his dad doesn't see David as a legitimate option for Samuel to anoint because he leaves him out there taking care of the sheep. And seven boys line up in front of Samuel. Now, Samuel, when he gets up there, he goes... Eliab is the oldest, he thinks. Surely that's got to be God's choice, you know? Good-looking, big, strapping young guy. You know, probably the firstborn he was. And uh, so Samuel goes, there he is. And God speaks to Samuel and goes, no, wrong guy. You're looking on the outside. I can see what's on the inside. Isn't that kind of what we do? We have a tendency to look on the outside. God says, I want you to see what's on the inside. I'll tell you who it is. So he goes through all seven boys and he... There's no sense that any one of these guys is God's choice to be the next king. So he goes to Jesse, he goes, well, you know, do you, don't you, do you have any more kids? you have another son? He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, you know, out there in the field. He goes, go, go get him. And, and Samuel, as David's coming, God's spirit speaks to Samuel. He goes, that's the one. And he anoints him, and the spirit of God comes on David. And so then we read in chapter 17, probably the most famous exploit of David is when he start, his dad sends him out to find out how his brothers are doing because there's a conflict between 
their neighbors, the Philistines. And, you know, these guys are now paralyzed because the Philistines have run out their giant. And Goliath is there, and he's like, you know, he's huge. And if you've ever been, you know, have you ever had a moment in your life where you're intimidated by someone? Anybody ever had that experience that you were intimidated by a human being? Well, I can appreciate when this guy is like almost twice the size of anybody else. It's a little intimidating. And I mean, you know, he's, he's walking around in all this military garb and they just, and, and the Philistines are taunting the Israelites. Say, hey, come on, just send one guy out. Whoever wins this, you know, mano, mano, you know, man to man, one guy decides which nation rules. Instead of fighting a big war, forget that. We'll just get, you know, two contestants. And they trump out this giant. And, uh, you know, the king, Saul was actually head and shoulders above everybody else. So, but he was terrified. He didn't want to go fight this guy. He's the leader. He's not going. And everybody else is shaking in their, you know, boots. And, and you know, David shows up. <laughs> Good old David. He goes, well, what's going down here, guys? And they're going, well, there's, and he hears this guy. He just can't believe it. No one's going to take this guy on. He goes, no problem. I'll do it. I'll do it. He's not even a soldier yet. And the king hears about it, and he tries to put his armor on him. David goes, I can't even move in this stuff. He says, no, I'll I'll handle this. And he takes a slingshot and picks five smooth stones. And so the giant's looking at David coming at him, and he goes, who in the world do you think you are, kid? I mean, I feel feel slighted. I'm offended that they sent this, you know, kid with sticks, you know? Like, what's the deal here? He's got a slingshot, you know? And, uh, and so he says, I'm going to hang you out to dry, kid. This is the craziest thing I've ever seen. And David says to the giant, I love what he says to him. He goes, you know, you're coming to me with sword and shield and spear, you know. But I'm coming to you in the name of the Most High God. And I want to just say this, that when you and I come in the name of the Most High God, giants come down. I love it. And you know, we need to get this in our system. You know, our biggest problem is we look at ourselves and we go, I just can't do this. And you know, you're right. You can't. But if you and I stop looking at ourselves and start looking at the most high God and God says, hey, I'm sending you, you can know that you can do it. I mean, you think of Moses. God says, I want you to go down to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Pick up that rod. And start going down there. And Moses is going, you got to be kidding me. You're sending me down to the greatest army on earth with a stick? Come on, God. How many think that's a pretty harebrained idea? How many would say, you know what? That would be like, you know, somebody, we could flip this. Okay, we're sending you to Russia. There's your stick. Go tell them what you're going to do with it. Everyone's laughing. We go, ridiculous, right? But Moses didn't just go with a stick. He went in the name of the Lord. And so Moses gets down there and he drops his stick and it becomes a serpent. And then all of a sudden, three magicians run up. They drop their three sticks and they become serpents. Moses goes, oh no, I wasn't anticipating this. This is three to one. But the good news is when you go in the name of the Lord, your serpent eats up the other three. Come on now. You see, we need to change the way we're seeing how we're being sent. We're going in the name of the Lord. We're being sent by God. 
We've got to stop looking at ourselves and looking at our weaknesses and looking at our deficiencies and begin to look to God and say, God, if you're sending me, I'm going. You know, the Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 6, there, there was a man who was sent from God. His name was John. This is John the Baptist. How many know John was fearless? Why was John fearless? He was sent by God. I want to say to you today, you've been sent by God. If you're a child of God this morning, God has commissioned your life and he is sending you. Boy, when you understand it, it changes the whole equation. Why do we struggle with God's call to go? To bring this beautiful message of love and hope. Well, I think the real joy in life is not in getting, it's in giving. In our culture, we, just, we are taught to acquire things. How many know that's true? The whole culture is predicated on acquisition. How many know that's the truth? We are getting bombarded every single day by advertisement, and the advertisement industry is telling you that you will never be content unless you have their product. You're told that every single day, and you're bombarded by hundreds of messages. And most of the time, you and I think we're filtering them out. But the overall arching message is you will not be satisfied with life until you acquire more. Yeah. And the Bible teaches the exact opposite. The Bible is teaching you that you and I have to give up and relinquish and surrender and give. Isn't that interesting? So Jesus gives his disciples, that's you and I, his peace to sustain us in our tribulations. You know, Jesus gives us joy by answering our, our prayers. Jesus gives us the keys to the kingdom that has authority over the power of hell. You know, because whatever, when we bring the gospel message, when people respond to it, they're set free. We have that kind of authority. So love actually is like that. Oh, I want to read this. This is good. He says, the Robert Coleman says, they saw, the disciples saw how the things which they cherished, physical satisfaction, popular acclaim and prestige, Jesus refused. How many think that's really interesting? And what did Jesus do? What the things they sought to escape, poverty, humiliation, sorrow, and even death, he accepted willingly for their sakes. Is this amazing? You know, why do I love Jesus? Because he lays down his life for us. That's why I love him. You know. Now, it's interesting here that Peter, who was struggling with God's call, was he not? He had denied Jesus three times. Jesus rose again. He's telling them to go out. But you know what he does? He goes fishing. You read that in John 21. So Jesus shows up and fixes breakfast. And says to Peter, hey, Peter, if you love me, you know, he asks him, do you love me? And he did it three times. Now, I think a lot of us think that because he's trying to embarrass Peter. I don't think he's doing that. You know what I think he's doing? I think he did it three times because he wanted to affirm Peter three times. And then he, and he commissioned Peter. What did he say to Peter? He said, if you love me, he said, do you love me? He says, yeah, I do. And he says, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Then he said, feed my sheep. What's he saying? If you truly love God, you'll do what God says. If you truly love God, you will serve other people. Bottom line. You say, how do you know that? 
This is how we know who the children of God are. They're the children and who the children of the devil are. Two groups. You're either in the dark side or the light side. Anyone who does not do what is right, not a child of God. Nor is anyone who does not love his brother. Now when I look down, I say, okay, this is real simple. See, we think, oh, I'm, I, I'm telling people I'm a child of God. No, let's put it to the test. I know I'm a child of God when I do what God wants me to do and I love people. How's that? Is that simple? Well, it's simple to understand, but it's not always simple to do, right? We know that that's true. Calvary's love then becomes the standard set for us as believers. This is not only the mark of the believer, but it's the vehicle in which the gospel is to be packaged to our world. In other words, this is the way we're going we're gonna to connect with people. We're going to love them. You go, but yeah, there's a lot of not so nice people out there, Pastor. And they're not very loving back. I'm going, yeah, but Jesus kept loving. Jesus kept forgiving. Jesus kept giving. That's what we have to do. We're being sent to do this. So we understand what our mission is. Now, let me, let me move on to the second point. If we're going to be dynamic missional believers. And it's simply that we realize that we're empowered by God. Oh, I like this part. This is, this is good. You know what I notice? That everywhere, well, first of all, how did Jesus come and minister to our world? In the spirit. You see, we look at Jesus and go, yeah, well, he's God, pastor. Yeah, but he was a man. And he relinquished his God powers, not his identity. He couldn't relinquish who he was, but he relinquished what we would call his, you know, his non-moral attributes. Okay, he, 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 could, he couldn't relinquish his moral attributes. That means the essence of who he was. But he relinquished things like, I, I don't know everything. I'm not all powerful and I have, I'm limited to a body. I can't be everywhere at one time. So he's limiting himself to these things. And then he, and then he says this in Luke 4, 18. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. In other words, Jesus says, I can't even preach without the spirit of God being on me. I can't minister to people unless God's spirit is with me. Are we following? Are you tracking with me? See, when you look at Jesus' life, he did not do any miracles until he was, you know, comes baptized. He's in the temptation in the wilderness. And then he comes out full of the spirit. And it's only after he has the spirit of God on him do we see the miracles in his life and the preaching in his life. Isn't that amazing? So he's not, you know, all these little myths about Jesus doing miracles when he's a boy... Nonsense. Jesus limited himself to being a human being and he didn't do anything that was supernatural or powerful until the Spirit came on him. This is really amazing. Now, think about that for a minute. How was the early church effective in their ministry? Well, you know how it happened? It wasn't their brilliance. It wasn't their strategy. It wasn't their, you know, methodology. I'm going to shock us all here. See, in North America, in the church, we, we're suckered in. We, we're, we're, going all, we're going at this totally the wrong way. We think we've got to be as like the world, how they approach projects and things and all the rest of it. You know, I'm going to tell us how it's going to work. If this happens, we will change our whole city. You say, how, what's the secret, Pastor? We have to be full of the Holy Spirit. We have to be led of the Spirit. And we have to operate in the Spirit. See, Peter and John are going to a prayer meeting one day, and they're walking by, and here's this guy. He's begging at the temple. Now, the Bible says in Acts chapter 3 that he had been lame since birth, 
and it was a Jewish responsibility to give alms. And so they're walking by, and, and they don't have any money, okay? So they don't have the resources to help the poor here. So they're walking by, and this man is begging, and Peter looks at him, and he says to him, silver and gold we don't have. We don't have any money for you, but we do have something for you. But what we have, we'll give to you. And Peter reaches his hand down to this man. Obviously, he's sitting on the ground. He doesn't, he's never walked in his life. He says, but we'll give you what we have. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Now, how many know if somebody who's been begging all their life because they've been unable to do anything, all of a sudden now comes out of their you know, disability and are totally normal, that's going to change that person's life. They're no longer going to be stuck in that mode. And so this man, the Bible says, he got up and he started to walk. Now, you know, I love this story. I've preached on it before. This man was lame from birth. That tells me he had never walked in his life. He had never learned how to walk. But all of a sudden, when the Spirit of God came on this man, he was able to do something he had never done before. He started walking. And not only did he start walking, it says he started leaping. Now that's pretty good, isn't it? Never walked in your life. Now you're only walking, you're leaping, and it says he was praising God. You know, I've thought about this story. As churches, we love to make a lot of noise about what God's doing. You know what I pray? That you and I are walking in the Spirit and we're touching people's lives and they start making the noise. Not us. They are making the noise. And I'll tell you something. If somebody's been crippled since the day they were born can start walking and leaping, they're going to be praising God. How many know that it drew a crowd? People had walked by this guy at the temple for a long time, and all of a sudden, he's walking and leaping and praising God. Immediately, people want to know how this happened. Aren't you curious? Come on now, human beings, we have this great inquisitive nature. They wanted to know. And so Peter and John are standing with this guy, and they go, don't look at us. It's not by some power that we have. It's not by some holiness in our lives, but by the name of the Lord, this man is now healed and whole." We didn't do this. They said, Jesus did it. I like this. Where's the pressure? Not on Peter and John. Pressure's on Jesus. And Jesus did it. He came through. This guy's running around. I'm telling you, it caused a lot of problems for the religious leaders who thought they had killed Jesus and got rid of the problem. Now they got a new problem. You know, Jesus is still healing people. You know, that's a problem. That caused a lot of problems. More people were becoming Christians all the time. They were just like, boom. Thousands of people were becoming Christians. Isn't that awesome? I like it. You know what it says about these? The Sanhedrin, the religious body, the governing body of the land says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they, they were what? Unschooled, ordinary. They were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. They said, the only way we can factor in what in the world's going on here is they were been with Jesus. I love that statement. Been with Jesus. If we have been with Jesus, things will begin to happen in our lives. So that's maybe where we need to spend some of our time. Been with Jesus this morning. I've been with Jesus today. I've been talking to Jesus today. I've been in the word of God today. I've been, you know, spending time with Jesus this week. We've been fasting and praying and crying out to Jesus this week. We've been, we've been with Jesus. Something's bound to happen when you've been with Jesus. Robert Coleman says it, you know, 
Now let's move on here. Yeah, I'll get to that one. So what is God's purpose for our life? Well, Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then you will be my witnesses. You know, trying to be a witness without the power of the Spirit is counterproductive. Do you know how hard it is? But I'll tell you, when you get full of the Holy Ghost, you will be a witness. The problem we have is most of us are not that full. Because if you're full of the Holy Ghost, you're going you're gonna to light up. People are going to go, whoa, something's going on in your life, man. You know, people can pick up when, you, when you're walking with God. They can pick up on it. It's the truth. They can tell. Robert Coleman says, Jesus was God in revelation, but the Spirit was God in operation. I like that. I think God wants to operate in this world today. How is he going to do it? He's going to do it through the church. But how is he going to do it through the church when most of us are gone? I'm looking at myself. I can't do this. Jesus says, look away from yourself. Look to me. I'm sending you in the power of the Spirit. Notice how it's interesting. Whenever we come to those passages in the Bible that have to do with the disciples being sent out, you'll also find the promise of the accompanying power of the Spirit. Isn't that awesome? He sends out the twelve. He says, okay, you 12, you're going out. Gives them the following instructions. Go preach the message. Okay, Lord, I'm going to go preach the message. Then he says this. Oh, by the way, when you're preaching the message, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Do you know what I think? God's responsible to back us up. God's responsible to back up his message. And I read the Bible, he confirms his word with signs following. I could just go down and give you a whole bunch of verses here, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to move on because I'm going to my third point because I'm watching the time. Is that we're invested by God with great authority. Okay, how do we become missional believers? Number one, we're sent by God. You have to understand God's sending you. Number two, you have to understand God's empowering you. I have the spirit. Number three, God's giving you authority. I like this. You know, you take a look at a police officer. He gets up in the road. Lights are on the fritz. He decides, okay, I'm going to control the situation. He gets up and there's this huge truck coming at him. He goes. Now, how many know that that human being will be flattened by that semi truck coming at him if he doesn't stop? How many know that's true? Why does that truck stop? Because the police officer is so strong, right? <laughs> no, he's got authority. Because behind that uniform is the fact that he has been delegated authority by a governing body. And so if that truck does not stop, he's going to have to deal with everything behind that officer. All the authority of that officer is backing him up. How many see that? Are you getting it? Are we getting the picture? You have the authority from God. You have God's backup. God's behind you, backing you up. I like this. You know, I would not be a preacher if God wasn't backing me up. I just say, forget it. I'm not doing this. But when I get up here, I go, I know who's backing me up. I already know. God's going to back me up. Awesome. Listen, when it says, verse 23, if you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. Now, he's not saying that you and I can walk around going, you're forgiven, you're not forgiven. We can't do that. 
What he means is this, and I, I agree with uh, Leonard, Leon Morris. He says simply, when you and I preach the gospel, the people who respond and receive the forgiveness message are forgiven. And those people who harden their heart and reject the message, they remain unforgiven. And that's sad. They're still in their sins. That's what he's talking about. Now, you want to know how effective this message can really be? I love the story. You know, I know it's not a true story, but I like it anyways. I'm going to tell it to you. So there's this Indian chief. He goes down to Las Vegas. He's doing a little gambling, you know. I was just down there in February visiting my brother. He's doing a little gambling down there. And how many know most people lose? Don't let them tell you otherwise. How do you think they build those casinos? So anyways, he's down there and he loses everything. So he sends up a smoke signal to his tribe, you know. You know, he sends, need, need more money. Tribe signals back, smoke signal. Why? <laughs> so before he gets to answer, the Atomic Energy Commission detonates an atomic charge in the desert. Tremendous mushroom of black smoke poofs up. Sky gets darkened. He sees now the smoke signal coming back from his tribal members. All right, all right, sending the money. Just don't holler. (laughs) What am I saying? I'm saying, God's got your back. He'll back you up. It's awesome. I love it. Amen. God will validate his message with signs. He will. He will validate. And you need to know that. You know what? I was a youth pastor. First, it's so, you, you really know when you're called of God. You know how I know? Everywhere I've gone, the first time I go somewhere I preach, people get saved. It's really neat. I love this. You know? It's not that I'm so brilliant. You preach. God says, you're right where I want you. Watch what happens. I preach the sermon. Someone gives their heart to Christ. I go, wow. I can't do that. That's Christ doing that, you know? And it's so neat to watch what God does. And I know I told the story a couple of weeks ago, but I'm going to tell it again. You know, because it, it really shows me how God backs you up. I would, you know, I, I'm just in my first semester. I'm going to close with the story. First semester in college. I'm learning to be a minister, right? What a great calling it really is. And... I sign up to go work on an Indian reserve, a native reserve. So I'm helping the native pastor. And he says to me, oh, by the way, I'm taking most of the church to camp. And he says, could you come over and do a Bible study? Because there's some people, they just can't go. They're elderly. So I I said, sure, no problem. I'll come. And so I take my 12-year-old brother with me. And we go to the, the, the church. And there's two elderly ladies there. One is actually 70 and one is 80. They didn't go along on the trip. That's my congregation that night. And so I'm teaching, you know. See, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you got to start big. Hey, God starts you small. So I have two people. My brother's there. And then I look out the window because there's a bank of windows. And I notice this car comes in. This guy gets out of the car, comes into the building. And I can tell just the way he's walking, he's inebriated. And for those that don't know what that means, he's drunk. Okay, so he's, he's coming in, he's wobbling all over, and then he starts talking, and then his voice changes to a voice that's a little intense. Like, you know, when somebody is demonized, it's the hairs on the back of your neck stand straight up. I'm tell, it's really freaky. And he says to me, I'm here to kill you. I go to God, I didn't sign up for this. 
you know. I'm looking in my Bible. How do you handle... See, we never covered this in our first semester of Bible college. As a matter of fact, I can honestly say in all the four years I was there, we never covered that. You know, I'm looking in my Bible. Now what do I do? You know, but I want to just tell you something. God will back you up. Okay, that's what you need to know. So now these two ladies, bless their hearts. I love them, Josephine. And uh, I'm trying to think of the other girl's name. Couldn't remember. I've never seen two older women move so fast in my entire life. I I think they were going for an Olympic gold. I mean, you know, for a minute there, I thought they were going to go right out the door. Because, I mean, they were scared. And I don't blame them. But I'm leading the meeting. It's kind of hard to run when this person's directing their comments right to you, you know. And so, but they stop. Because, you know, human nature, I want to see how this plays out. (laughs) And my brother, who's 12, his eyeballs... I'm serious. I looked at him, and I know, no, no support there. <laughs> I don't have any support there or there. I'm on my own. I'm like, okay, now what am I going to do? So I said to these ladies, and my brother, I said, start singing. Let's sing about the blood of Jesus. And no kidding. We started singing. There's power, power, you know, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. And this guy... No kidding, hits the floor and starts writhing, which, which means he's like moving like a serpent across the floor. I'm going, wow, he's coming at me. Like, you know, <laughs> it's kind of wild movement, you know. And so you got to come up with the next thing because we're singing and I'm singing and they're singing. And I finally say, in the name of Jesus, be free. And this guy literally jumps up, throws his hands up and he goes, I'm free. And immediately, he went from being drunk to stone cold sober like that. I went, okay, just saw the power of God. Just saw the power of God. And this guy was weeping and crying. And he said, I walked away from God, totally messed up my life. But now I want to give my life to Jesus. And I prayed with him. And he, how many know we had a pretty good service that night? How many know I didn't stick to my notes? <laughs> you know, I went to, I saw my brother last February. This is now a long time, 30 plus years. I said, hey, Peter, remember that time on the reserve when this guy came to the service? Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's a believer, by the way. He goes, I believe. <laughs> when you see the power of God at work. And so what I'm trying to say to us this morning, how many of us in this room, we go, you know, I kind of struggle, Pastor, with sharing my faith. Anybody here struggle with sharing their faith? Let's be honest. Okay. We're going to stand this morning. I want to encourage you. We're going to pray a commissioning prayer today. How many would say, I want to be like David. I want to go in the name of the Lord. I want to see the power of God back up his word. I want to sense in my soul, I am a sent one, because you already are sent. You already have the spirit of God. If you're a child of God this morning, you have that power. You just haven't exercised it yet. You know, that was quite dramatic. I mean, listen, I haven't had an experience like that since. I mean, I've had other experiences that were pretty crazy, but that was the wildest one. But how many know that when you're a brand new person studying to be a minister and you have that experience, you go, okay, we can handle most stuff that comes along now. I I can see the power of God can handle this stuff.
Can you see that? I have a little bit of confidence, you know. So when somebody came in, you know, trying to say, I'm going to kill you and comes, I'm the only one in the building now and he's got a knife. I'm going, no, you're not. That's what I said to this guy. And uh, we had a good conversation and I walked out of the building with him and I got in my car and drove away. How's that? You go, really? I go, yeah, God. Now, I'm not trying to be crazy or nutty. I'm just saying, listen, if it's your time to go, it's your time to go. You can't control that stuff. But I'm going, hey, if God wants you here, you're going to be here. And all the craziness and all the demonic forces in hell aren't going to take you out. I believe God's in control. Okay? So how many here say, Pastor, I want to go out this week as a missional believer. I want to, I want to go out with a deep sense that I'm empowered by the Spirit of God. And I'm a delegate. I actually have God's backing me up right now. That's you. Just raise your hand. That's you. I want that. You know, now, if you're looking around the room, there's a lot of hands up. I'm just saying, listen, if you guys go and say, okay, God, I'm going out as a sent out one. Just send me to somebody. You know what God's going to do? He's going to answer that prayer. He's going to send you. And you just need to have confidence that when you're speaking, God's going to do something. I had a situation this week. I'm talking to this person. I'm going, wow, this is the most interesting, bizarre conversation. And the whole time, and I'm a pastor. I'm highly trained. I'm praying. I have no idea what to say. And I'm listening, and I finally have a verse. And I read the verse, and this person said to me, wow. That's what they said. Wow. A huge weight lifted. I go, God's starting the work. I'm not, he's not done, but he's starting in this person's life. You see what I'm getting at? You say, well, I don't know what to do. Just start praying. God will give you, and read your Bible every day because then God can go, okay, here's the verse I want you to give that person. And boom, something starts happening. God starts working. How many think that's awesome? It is an awesome thing. So let's pray. Father, we come before you, and even as Jesus said, As the Father has sent me, Lord Jesus, today you are saying to us, so I'm sending you. We receive this commission that you have given us, Lord. We have received right now the spirit of the living God, this empowerment, because you never send us without empowering us. Lord, your presence is going with us. And there's an authority in what we are about to do this week. There's an authority in what we're going to say this week that's going to set others free. You're going to use us this week to set others free. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you leave this morning.